Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. This, um, this week, I uh, went back and did some reading um, uh, out of a, a book entitled Philosophical Fragments, and it's um, some of the writings of a guy by the name of uh, Søren Kierkegaard. And one of the things that I, I reread, um, I knew there, there was a shift in the force. Y'all are supposed to be over there. Yeah, Curtis, you just messed me up, man. I'm, I'm going to have to turn around and preach this way. No. The, uh, yeah. Y'all, people change seats and, oh my goodness. Okay. It's fun. It's an adventure. Okay, I'm with you. I'm, I'm back now. The, uh, <laughs> the, um, anyway, one of the things that uh, Kierkegaard wrote was a, a parable. He wrote many things, but he, he wrote a parable um, uh, about a king. And uh, I went back and reread that and, and just kind of reflected on it um, this week. And the, the story is uh, about a king. A king uh, wealthier and more powerful than uh, any king had ever been and any king has ever been since. Um, he, he had everything that he wanted except the one thing he wanted most and that that was someone to share his kingdom with, his, his heart with really. Um, he, he wanted to experience love and uh, he had yet to find that. Um, part of the struggle that, that the king had was there were certainly plenty of women in the kingdom who would love to be the king but he struggled and wrestled with how how would he know that they loved him for him. How, how would he know? And so one day he was outside of his palace walls and he was uh, just walking among the people, um, was dressed in a way that he wouldn't be noticed and he came upon a, a very poor, um, very kind of disheveled uh, woman and he watched her for a little while. And today we think it was creepy, you know. Um, but he came back the next day and watched her a little more and um, he, he fell in love with her. She had nothing that she could give him. She, I mean, she, she had no status. She, she, had, she had no wealth. She, she, she had absolutely nothing. And um, nobody understood why she caught his eye. She wasn't what you would think of as being eye-catching. But he, after a number of days, he just realized he had fallen in love with her. And he didn't know what to do about it. So he went to his advisors and told them, he said, I've, this has happened, you know, my heart is long for this kind of relationship, someone to share the kingdom with, share my heart with. And uh, what should I do? Well, one of the advisors said, well, man, just command her to love you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the king was wise enough to know that he could command her body to be present in the palace, but could not command her heart to love. And so he, he, he said, I don't think that's it. He, another advisor said, well, here's what you need to do. You just need to get over it. You just need to give yourself some time. Don't go back. 
Um, just give yourself some time and time will heal that. It'll pass. You need to find somebody more of your status, nobility. And so the king said, okay, I'll do that. And days went by and weeks went by and, and months went by and the longing in his heart was unchanged. And so he went back and he began observing this maiden again. And his heart grew more in love with her. And he watched her struggle. He watched her struggle for food. He watched her struggle to just make ends meet. And he knew that with snap of a finger, he, he could meet, he, he could take care of all of her needs. And he longed to do that. But he, what he didn't know was, would she love him back for him or would it just be for his provision? Would it truly be somebody that she could share, he could share, you know, his, his heart with? And so he wondered that and he, he contemplated it and uh, tried to come up with ways and finally decided that the only way he would ever truly know, there was only one way, and what he would have to do is uh, he got up the next morning and he laid down his scepter, he took off his royal robes, he took off the crown, he set it on the throne and he walked out of the palace. And he began to scrape out a living from the ground. He began to be hungry himself, groveled for food. He, he became as ragged and disheveled as the one that he loved. That's, that's what he did. He, he scratched out a living. But he knew it's the only way he would ever know. Did they love him for, for him? The Gospel writer John writes not a parable but a historical account of the coming and birth of Jesus. In John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 we read these words, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in, in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. What John is saying is the king was in his palace. The king was in his palace. Luke records this in Luke 2. And the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And she laid him in a manger. And the king became as ragged as the ones he loved was the only way. See, this gift that we celebrate at Christmas, this God with us, e Emmanuel, God has given this great gift. He, he comes to earth. He comes as ragged as we are. And, and yet he did it because he didn't want to live without your love without being loved back by you and, and yet this great gift that we celebrate every Christmas this time of year often is not warmly received by many and, and some of you know that and you may be here today and maybe, maybe you haven't yet received that that gift you know we talked we talked last week about gifts that we get 
that we're not really excited about. We didn't really want them, but we discover we needed them. I think we talked about socks and pajamas or pajamas and handkerchiefs or something like that. Um, and we, you know, we, we, we talked about normally those are things that we don't want. Usually mama or grandmama gives them to us and, you know, uh, but you, you find out eventually, you know, you need them. They come in handy sometimes and so, you know, you, you, you like those. But then there are those other gifts that you get sometimes at Christmas that not only do you not want, but you don't need. You just, you don't, don't want them, don't, don't need them. And some of you may have received gifts like that. I, I heard about one guy, um, he'd been married to his wife for 15, 16 years, and every year her parents got him camouflage clothing, cameo clothing. And, um, I mean, high dollar stuff, you know, for hunters, it, it already had the deer urine smell built in. I mean, it was, you know, expensive stuff. And, uh, you know, he had a collection, but here was the deal. He didn't hunt. And he never understood why year after year do they get me this, this stuff that I can't use, I don't want, I, you know, I, I don't understand. I, he, he, he was afraid that one year they were going to give him a hunting trip with Dick Cheney, too. So, I think more of y'all got it this service than last. I, I told them they had to go home and Google it. Um, the, uh, but you know, sometimes you just, you get gifts you don't want, you don't need, you don't, you don't understand the point. Um, you know, what, what, what's the deal with that? Um, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell, tell them about a gift that you got that you, you either returned or wanted it returned because you didn't want it, you didn't need, but hold on before you do that. Okay? Just because I love you. I want to give you a warning before you step in it. Make sure that it wasn't something that person gave you. Okay? Just make sure. Stop and think. Okay? Go. Tell them, tell them a gift you returned, didn't want, you know, didn't need. Take a moment to do that. My hearing is not as good as it used to be, but did somebody over here say something about a Richard Simmons exercise video? No? Okay, maybe not. I, I, did, I went online, did some reading about people who got, um, who got some gifts that they, they didn't want, didn't think they needed. Um, one woman got a, a, a year's supply of Nutrisystem food from her mother-in-law. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Guys, what I'm about to tell you, this is not a recommendation. It's a warning. I read this one guy. He thought he was being strategic. He thought, man, it would be an early signal. I'd know how the rest of my evening was going. Um, so for Christmas one year, he bought his wife a mood ring. Pretty much guarantee it was black, you know, that day when she put it on. You know, sometimes we get things we don't want, we don't need. Sometimes they're, they can be pretty dumb ideas, you know. Um, here's, here's the deal uh, about Christmas. 
the greatest gift ever given to humanity, God sent. God sent to earth, you know? And surprisingly, at Jesus' birth, most of, most of the world kind of rejected. It was the most expensive gift, the most valuable gift, the most costly gift ever given. God gave his only son. Jesus would sacrifice heaven. He would put down his scepter, take off his crown, and he would dwell among us. Never before had a gift, and never since has a gift been given like that. And yet, it has been largely and so often rejected. And John writes about this in chapter 1 of his gospel. Verse 10, he says, Jesus, he was in the world... And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The, the world didn't recognize him. The world didn't see him for who he was. They didn't pay attention. Verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His own people. He was rejected. He was unwanted. He was this gift that got returned. If you write in your Bibles, I want to encourage you to circle that word in, in John chapter 1 verse 11, that word receive. That word is, the Greek word there is paralambano. And, and paralambano is as much about, you know, somebody handing you a gift and you taking it. It's really, it's not so much about the, the exchange as it is the attitude. What, what takes place, how you embrace that gift. How, uh, the best way to, to think of it is how you take it unto yourself. In our culture, one of the, the best ways to use that word that we would think of would probably be at a wedding. When the minister looks at the groom and at the bride and say, do you take this man? Do you take this woman? Do you take them unto yourself? Paralambano. Do you receive them? You know, to, to yourself. Do you delight in them? Will you, do you embrace them with your life? And this really is the only appropriate response to God's gift of Jesus at Christmas. But he wasn't, he wasn't received. He wasn't embraced. He wasn't, instead, he was rejected. You know, John, you know, when, when you think about the way that John uses that language, that word received. I just want you to, to think about that for a minute. Especially, you know, during, during this time of, of the year. We, we can go into stores at this time of year and there can be music playing and I'll be in what I consider, not, you know, I'm not talking about like Chick-fil-A or Lifeway bookstore. I'm talking about what would be considered secular stores. And they'll be playing Christmas music and every now and then a verse will slip out about Christ is Lord. And I, I think, what just happened? You know? Because so often in our culture, that would be thought of as offensive. But people just kind of, you know, during this season they're a little more receptive. I know everybody's not, but they, they receive it a little bit differently. And I think it's because of the Jesus that's being celebrated at Christmas is, for the most part, not offensive. For, for the most part, you know, he, he's, he's just a sweet little baby. I uh, did some reading this past week on, online. I just, I, what, I, what I googled was great Christmas sayings. 
And so there were these, all these wonderful quotes. There were guys like G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, you know, just some great minds. And you read down a little further. And then there was a quote by a fictional movie character, Ricky Bobby. Talladega Nights. And I'm thinking, so I, I have to read it, of course. And so I, I, I decided I was going to read it to you, but then I decided, why read it to you when I can show it to you? Um, so here is, here is a great quote about the true meaning of Christmas. Watch this. Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? Tiny baby Jesus. That's who Ricky Bobby wanted to pray to. You know, I, I think that there is this sense that at, at this time of year that kind of people receive Jesus a little bit. They, they start on that believing path. Start receiving him. Because the, the one that they're excited about receiving is that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and it's so sweet and non-threatening. But here's the deal. Christmas Jesus goes on to become crucified Jesus. You know, when, when John says, and they received him not, or some translation, they did, his own people did not receive him. And you think about what his own people did to him. They didn't receive him. So they beat him till he was unrecognizable. They didn't receive him, so they tortured him to death. They didn't receive him, so they crucified him. That's what that paralambano means there when it says they, they didn't receive him. They, they, they really didn't receive him. Because it's more difficult to accept the crucified Christ than the Christmas Christ. It's, it's, it's so much easier to just be attracted to the little baby in a manger than it is the one who came to die for our sins. The prophet Isaiah tells us that the way that they received him not was they despised him. They, they rejected him. The, I mean, they, they hated him. And so the, the big question really to me is when we think about gifts and, you know, those kinds of things is why? why? Why didn't people receive? Why didn't they embrace? Why didn't they take him unto themselves? Why did they reject him? Why did they want to return this gift? And so I want us to spend the rest of our time thinking about that for just a minute. Why does God's greatest gift, why does it get returned? And I want us to think about four reasons maybe today. Uh, two that just really kind of come quickly. I think you'll, you'll see these pretty quickly. Um, the, the first one is this. One of the reasons that I think that many people return God's great gift is because they end up being offended by 
the message of Jesus. They eventually get offended by the message of Jesus. They like the Christmas Jesus, you know. People, people in Jesus' day, they loved miracle Jesus. You know, you go over to John chapter 6, and in John chapter 6, we read about Jesus feeding thousands. You know, they, they had a fish fry. Baptists love fish fries, you know. You know, so they, they had this fish fry, and thousands got fed with just a, a little bit of bread, a few fish, you know. People loved miracle Jesus. Right after that event, Jesus walks on the water, gets in the boat with his disciples. They love Jesus so much they worship him. They just, they, they love miracle Jesus, water walking Jesus. But then in that same chapter of John chapter 6, you get to John 6, 66. And the Bible tells us that after Jesus became preaching Jesus... Those people who followed him, some of the, the disciples, not the twelve, some of the other disciples left him. No, no longer would follow him because they got offended by the message. They, they, they just got offended so they, 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 rejected, they rejected Jesus. And, and people in our culture do the same thing. They, get, they can get comfortable with him as a baby. Man, they'd love a miracle, please. But the message of having to follow him and taking up a cross, they return that Jesus. That Jesus gets returned. Second reason that I think of that people return God's great gift is because receiving it will usually mean you have to reject someone or something else. It usually means you have to stiff arm something else in order to receive Jesus. You couldn't receive Jesus fully and completely without saying no to something else. Uh, the gospel writer again, John. John points this out in the 12th chapter of his gospel, verses 42 and 43. Tells us that many people did believe in him. Speaking of Jesus, many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders. Many people believed in him. Some of the Jewish religious leaders believed in him. But now watch this. It says, but they wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't receive him for his own for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. They believed that Jesus was who he said he was. But they did not take him unto themselves. And, and this happens over and over again. People believe in Jesus, but they don't embrace Jesus. You know, someone, someone might would say, you know, th th they think th this idea of if I have to receive Jesus, I'm going to have to let go of this. Or I'm going to have to change this relationship. And so they believe, but they, they don't receive. Those are the first two reasons I think people kind of return God's gift. The last two I want to think about are, are two groups of people that were there with Jesus that obviously rejected him. And the first is this. I want us to think about why did the Romans, why did the Romans of that day just reject Jesus? Why didn't they give Jesus a chance? And here's what I think. I think, I think they rejected this great gift of God because the Romans hated the people of God. Because they just flat out hated the people of God. They rejected the Son of God, I think mostly because they didn't like the children of God. 
Some of you are aware of this. Most of the Romans that were in Jerusalem, especially in Palestine, that region of the world, they didn't want to be there. They were there as an occupying military force. It was mostly military personnel, maybe some of their families, who knows. They didn't want to be there. They wanted to be back home, maybe with their families. And, and of course, the Jews are a very proud people. They believe themselves to be the people of God. Now they're under Roman oppression, so they hated their oppressors. And their racism among the Jews of this day was just rampant. They, they believed themselves to be superior because God chose them to be a blessing to the world. That, they thought that made them superior to everybody else. And so this, this led to lots more tension. Oftentimes there would be these rebellions that would break out in, in Jerusalem. And it would result in uh, tens of, maybe at times even hundreds of Jewish people being crucified, lining the, the main thoroughfares into the city. And, and the Jews, to retaliate, they, this group arose among them called zealots. And they, would, they were knife carriers. And what they would do is they would, they would mix themselves in with the big crowds in the city. And when a Roman you know, centurion, a Roman soldier walked by, they would stab them and disappear into the crowd. And so this, this great hatred existed. And the, the Romans hated the Jews. They, they, they thought of them as less than uh, as well. And, you know, I think there's some movement around that today. That there are people who reject the Son of God because of, of the people of God. There's a little book called Bring Them Back Alive. And it's, it's stories of people who have been turned off to Jesus because they were hurt by the church. Or by, by the people of God. And it's talking about how to, to reclaim them. And there's a story in there about a deacon. Who had lived his life very sacrificially as a deacon in his church. He had been beyond generous with his giving. And the pastor of that church embezzled funds. And it wrecked him. It wrecked this man. And he testifies that he couldn't pray. He just, he couldn't, he couldn't talk to God anymore. It, it just wrecked him. Another story is about a young lady whose dad just refuses. She came to Christ, but she, he, her dad refused to attend church. And he recounts a story that when uh, his mom was alive, uh, they were living during the Depression, and his mom went to their local church in desperate need of food, and they sent her home empty-handed. And he remembers the pain that she went through and the suffering that they had. And he, he rejects the Son of God because of the people of God. Some of you know that a, a few weeks ago, I don't know, a month ago, something like that, uh, I, I was in Denver at a church revitalization uh, conference and there we were with some people who had seen God do a really great work in around the city of Denver, revitalizing churches, repurposing them, seeing them come back to life that had almost had to shut the doors. And one of the things that we were told by those who had been there kind of in the early part of the movement is they had gone out and done some survey work of their communities and uh, were listening for what people were saying. They were basically asking the question, why, why do you not attend church? Is there a reason? 
And the most uh, received answer was, church is boring or irrelevant. That was what number one was. The second most frequent answer, they thought it was going to be, you know, something like, well, we're atheists, you know, that Bible, that's all myths, I'm not there. Um, that, that really wasn't in the top three or four. The second uh, most recurrent response had to do with stories. And it was stories of people who had had really bad encounters with the people of God. Really struggled over, over that. And it was just story after story after story that, that, that they were be told. About how they had a bad experience with a church or with, you know, the people of God. And I, I don't know, there may be somebody in this room today. You, you may be here. And you may have had a, a painful experience with a church or with a Christian. And, and you, you know, there, there are people who, who, who say that, you know, Christians are just hypocritical and self-righteous and, you know, a, a, annoying. Uh, there, there are people who think that. And, you know, if, if you're here and you didn't necessarily want to be here, but you, you came today because a friend invited you and they've been inviting you and you just thought, I'm going to go to get them off my back, you know, or a family member, you know, drug you along, promised you a nice meal or a nice Christmas present if you'd come to church or I don't know. But if you're here today and you're one of those folks who may be thinking, I don't really want to be here. I don't, I don't buy into, I just don't buy into this. Don't, don't want to be a part of it. And it's because of, of us. Because of somebody like me. And you're one of those people who think, you know, uh, yeah, Christians are, they're, they're hypocritical, the ones I've met, or, or they're self-righteous, or they're annoying. Here's, here's what I want to say to you. You're right. We are. We just are sometimes. You know, we can be hypocritical. We can become self-righteous because we forget how wretched we really are apart from Jesus. We get so used to living in our salvation, we can get self-righteous. Some of you say, I don't know any annoying Christians. It might be you. Just, <laughs> just saying, you know. But here's, here's what I would say to you today. Don't let the wrapping paper keep you from opening the gift. Because the gift is beautiful. The wrapping paper is torn and broken and messy and wrinkled. Hot mess. But the gift... It's the most beautiful gift you will ever receive. So don't, don't, don't let, don't let the wrapping paper, don't let the people of God keep you from the gift of God, from the Son of God. Don't, don't, don't ever, don't ever let that happen. Because that's what happened for the Romans. This carpenter turned rabbi, who was proclaiming the beauty and love of who God really was, they rejected him because they hated the people of God. There was a second group of people that Jesus encountered. And when John wrote what he wrote that we read earlier in, in verse 11 of chapter 1 of his gospel, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's mostly who John was writing about there were, were the Jews. They did not receive the promised Messiah. 
Now remember, they had been looking for him for thousands of years. They'd been on the prowl, they'd been looking. And here's the reason I think they returned the gift. This beautiful gift of God. Is because Jesus wasn't what they wanted him to be. Jesus wasn't what they wanted him. They had an idea of what the Messiah would look like when he showed up. They were thinking mostly military, political kind of leader. They would think of somebody that would come and establish a kingdom in which they would rule primarily. They would, he would kick out the Romans. The Messiah would come and he would save them from all of that. And some of them start looking at Jesus even at one time towards the end of his days here on the earth and, and there on what we think of as the triumphal entry, man, people were getting on board thinking this looks like a coronation. We're in. Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. They got so excited. A few days later after Jesus has been arrested and been beaten it's got scars, bleeding. They shout, crucify him. Cru crucify him. Because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. It didn't match up now. It looked like, but it didn't match up with what, what they wanted him to look like. So now they're crucifying. God did not work the way that they expected him to work. Things weren't going the way they planned for them to go. I've watched, over the course of my years in ministry, I've watched people walk away from Jesus. People who it looked like they had some kind of faith, they grew up in church, they said they believed in Him, but then something happens in this life and it doesn't turn out and it doesn't match up with what they think Jesus should be doing for them right then because he hasn't saved them the way they think he should save them they, they turn their back because he's not the kind of Messiah that they had envisioned Here, here's what I want you to hear me say today please get this our God is a great gift giver greatest gift giver ever but here's the deal about his gift giving. God sometimes likes to surprise you with his gifts. You got anybody in your family that does that? They wrap a really, really nice gift in some kind of weird box. You know, every year they got you a really sweet gift, you know, something you've wanted. And you, you tear the paper off and there's like a quesadilla maker box. And you think, I don't want no dadgum quesadilla. You know, you think, I, I, but you go ahead and open the box anyway. And, oh my goodness, it was what you wanted. It's beautiful, you're excited about it. But man, the, sometimes God puts gifts in boxes. And here's what I want to tell you. Keep opening and wait. Keep opening, don't give up. Because sometimes the best gifts are just around the corner, but they show up in what doesn't look like a gift at all. Tolu and Kimmy, you're going to have to help me with dates. Was it, was it two years ago that you had the car wreck? Two Christmases ago? Is that about right? The, the family that just read for us about Advent, 
sat on our stage about a year ago and, and gave testimony to this. But two years ago, at the end of Christmas, their family was returning home. And they were given the beautiful gift of a car wreck from God. God gave them this beautiful gift of a car wreck. Now some of you are saying, boy, those are some weird people. If they think of this gift of a car wreck. But here's what happened. As a result of that accident, they discovered that Kimmy had cancer. Because of this accident, they caught it early. And they treated it. And yesterday, Kimmy, with her beautiful daughters, were up here at the church making Christmas special for some of our seniors. And then they were out caroling to some of our shut-ins. Because God gives beautiful gifts and they'll surprise you. And I thank God for that surprise. Now sometimes the surprises are painful. But just keep unwrapping. Dear God, keep unwrapping. I read this week about a woman who gave birth to her firstborn son. She had gotten sick early in the pregnancy. She was vomiting 30 to 40 times a day. They finally had to put her on steroids, which they most never want to do with, with pregnant women, but they, they did. Her baby went into distress early, and so at about 24 weeks, they had to take, take the child. And she was, it was a cesarean birth, and so she was recovering in the room, and uh, one of the neonatal nurses came in to talk to her. She said, the little boy's name was Joseph. She said, your son Joseph just pulled his breathing tube out, and he's doing fine. And she said, just tell me the story. And so she told her a story about her sickness and how they put her on steroids. And here's what the neonatal nurse said to her. She said, those steroids probably saved your son's life. Because they caused his lungs to develop earlier than they would have. This horrible gift of vomiting 30 to 40 times a day during a pregnancy was this beautiful gift that God was doing something that she couldn't see. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you think it is that Jesus should be saving you from. But I'm telling you, if you've received him, he's saving you. You just got to keep unwrapping the gift. Just, just keep going. Just, just keep digging. Because God is up to something unbelievably beautiful. See... You gotta wait. You, you, gotta, you gotta wait on the Lord. See, when, when they didn't receive him, when Jesus was being beaten, when Jesus was crucified, the Jews said, this isn't what Messiah is to look like. And that is the tendency when God doesn't work the way we want him to work. When he doesn't meet our expectation as Savior. So many times people walk away and just write him off. It's interesting to me when you go back and you study what the Jews mostly spent their time studying. When you, when you, when you study and read about what they, what they used in their worship most often, they would most often read those Psalms and those Old Testament prophecies that celebrated the victorious coming Messiah. 
That's, that's mostly what you see showing up. They would skip over Isaiah 53. They would skip over that part about the one who would be despised, the one who would be rejected. They didn't read Psalm 22 a bunch. I don't know if you read Psalm 22 lately. Psalm 22 describes crucifixion before there was crucifixion. It was a prophetic word about the Messiah. It wasn't what they were looking for because they didn't take in the whole counsel of God. And so they, they got their minds wrapped up in what for them was like their prosperity gospel, man. And if Jesus isn't working, working it out the way they thought, we haven't changed much in 2,000 years. We just haven't changed much in 2,000 years. There are still people who, you know, are looking for somebody to save them out of stuff today. And he does at times. But you think that Jesus, see, Jesus didn't come to save us from cancer, though he does sometimes. Jesus doesn't come to save us from foreclosure. Jesus didn't come to, just to save your marriage. He does those things sometimes. Jesus came to save you from hell. Jesus came to save you from an eternal damnation. That, that's, that's why he came. Because he really is the Messiah. You know, he, he is. But what happens is we start getting beat up by the Romans. And we want, we want this kind of Savior. We, we, want, we want that Savior. You know? We want Jesus to come save us. But John tells us that Jesus warned us. In John chapter 16, Jesus tells us, In this world, people who follow me, he's talking to his disciples, In this world, followers of Jesus, you're going to have tribulation. There are going to be troubles and trials. But God will give you the strength to get through those troubles and trials. Keep, keep unwrapping. Keep opening. Wait. Because here's the deal. It's when we ultimately realize why Jesus came. That we really get it. That he didn't come to save us from our temporary struggles. He came to save us from our eternal struggle. Our eternal battle with sin. Let me, let me try to explain it this way. Let's say you're, uh, you're, you're alone in a motel. And you're, you're in a deep, deep sleep. And you're suddenly awakened by the sound of an alarm going off. And it just jolt, you sit straight up in bed. Your adrenaline's pumping, and you realize this is not a fake. This is a real deal. This is a fire alarm. There's smoke in your room. You start, you, you realize you're coughing and hacking, and um, you start to run out the door, and you think, I need, I need a plan. And so you stop, and you see that, you know, that $19 bottle of water that they say is complimentary. And, and you think, I, I need to drink this so I can breathe, and I need to maybe take it and put it on me as I run out. And so you take that bottle of water, you run out of the room. And, and as you're running down the hall, you hear the, the cry of a little voice. And you, you find the room that it's coming from, and you see this little 10-year-old girl backed up in a corner, and she's coughing, and you realize she needs a drink too. So what you do is you throw her the bottle of water, and you run down the hall, and you make it out of the building. But 
Jesus didn't come just to save you with a little bit of water. Jesus came to put you on his shoulders and carry you out of the burning building. He didn't come to save you just from a little bit of thirst. He came to save you so you would thirst no more. Because that's, that's the kind of savior he is. Now, does he give you the strength to come through these other... When you realize what kind of savior he is, that's when you start to find the strength. That's, that's when, you, when you realize he came to save you from what you desperately were battling. He's carrying you out. He's not giving you just a little bit of drink. And this was his purpose. The angel came to Joseph. Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 1. The angel came to Joseph in a dream. And he tells Joseph, he, he gives him these words. He says, Mary, take her to be your wife. She will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. And Jesus literally means God saves. And then the angel goes on to say, for he will save his people from what? Smoke alarms? Foreclosures? The flu? He will save his people from their sins. See, here's, here's the real deal about some of those gifts you may have been tempted to return. You may not have realized how valuable they were until you needed them. Until, until you really need them, you know? You know, at, at first, you know, we're, we're excited about gifts and, you know, you're, it may have been something you weren't very excited about. But then when you realize you need it, then you want it. And it's the same that's true about receiving Jesus. It's when you, when you realize you need a Savior. And I, I, want, I want you to hear me say this about me. I, I don't know what anybody else's story is like in here. I, I, I learned a long time ago that Jesus was a Savior. And I learned a long time ago that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And, and I received him. And I loved him and I would celebrate the gift of my Savior at Christmas and Easter and other times during the year. But as, as I've grown in my faith, there was this day I got born again again. I guess you could say it that way. It was a day when I realized that I'm not just a sinner. I am an awful, wretched, hot mess of a sinner. But I have an unbelievably awesome Savior. He's just unbelievably awesome. And so you know what that, that understanding does for me now? It changes how I receive him each Christmas. It, it changes the intensity with which I worship. It, it, it changed everything in the way that I receive him to myself. You know, John starts off his gospel in, in John chapter 1 telling us that they didn't receive him. John does not use that word paralambano again in his gospel until you get to what we know as the 14th chapter. And in John chapter 14, Jesus was, is with his best friends, his, 
the twelve on the night before he would be betrayed and crucified and later ascend. Just before all that happens, John's, Jesus is with his disciples and John records Jesus saying this in John 14. He's trying to encourage his disciples and Jesus says this. He says, I will come again. Verse 3, I will come again and I'll receive you to myself. That word receive is paragambana. He said, I'm going to take you into myself. If you receive me, you paragambano me, I'm going to paragambano you and you will be with me where I am forever. And he will come and he will embrace. And here's the, the really cool thing. When the scriptures, when the New Testament prophecies talk about the return of the king, the second coming of, of the king of kings, of our Lord Jesus, he is coming back as a king. And he's not just coming back as a king, he's coming back as a king bridegroom. He's coming back as a king in search of his bride. In search of the people of God. In search of the people who have received him. There was this king. More powerful than any king before since. More wealthy, more beautiful, more just. More glorious than any king before or since. And he desperately loved the ragged. You and me. And he could not stand the thought of living without them, without you. And so one day he took off his royal robes, he laid down his scepter, he took off his crown, and he left glory. And he came and lived in the rags that we live in without sin and he lived that way so that he could take you to be with his now here's the deal about the story Kierkegaard did not end it because here's the deal we're all writing our own ending I really do like happily, happily ever after endings. You know, I do. You know, my, my hope about this story would be that it would be, be a happily ever after. It would be this great wedding. They'd reign together in beauty and love. He would share his heart, his life with her, she with him. Loving him for who he was. But here's the deal. Each of us write our own ending when it comes to Jesus and our relationship to that king. And the question is, is, it really is the big question at Christmas. Have you received him? Have you, have you paralambanoed Jesus? Have you taken him into yourself? Have you received him yourself? Have you done that truly? Have you done that personally? Have you received Jesus? Now, if, if you want to talk about that today, we're going to end things just a little differently. Um, the plan is for me not to come back up here. I may. Who knows? But the plan is I'm just going to go over and sit down. And we're going to do what we do so often when we close our service. We're going to, we're going to close in worship. We're going to close worshiping through giving, giving back to God his tithes, giving back offerings that he would prompt us to give. 
we're going to respond by making any kind of decisions that we need to make. But if you're here today and you have not received that gift, you may believe but you haven't received and you want to take that step today, I'm just going to be sitting down over there not far from the Christmas tree. And you can just come during the song, during the giving. Uh, even after, I'll just stay around. Um, and you can come. And we can talk about it. Maybe, maybe you've been hanging out at River Bluff for a while now and you're thinking, I, I, I love what God is doing here and I want to be a part of it. I, w I want to join the church. And uh, you can come by and I'll, I'll tell you what you need to do next to, to kind of take that step. Um, some of our other leaders, maybe you want to just kind of hang out over here and see what God might do. Maybe you just want to be prayed for today. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to make that shift from thinking that Jesus is only here to save you from a struggle that you're having. And what you need to know is he wants to give you the strength to get through it. And you just need to know, how do I keep unwrapping? And uh, I'll be glad to pray with you about something like that. Okay? But let me pray for us right now. Father, we come in Jesus' name giving thanks for the gift of Christmas. We come thanking you, Lord Jesus, that you are the soon and returning king. We are thankful that your salvation is not just from the little tribulations that we face now for a short while, as your word says. Even though some days they feel so big, so big like they're breaking us, God. But thank you that if we'll be patient with you and wait on you, your word tells us we will be given strength. Strength to face it. Thank you that you don't just throw some water at us in our time of trouble, but you pick us up and you carry us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're that kind of Savior. And so we come to worship you. We come to thank you. We come to celebrate your beauty and your goodness. And we look forward to the day when you take us to be with you. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.